Hello, and welcome to the podcast on Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Without anything else, I think, to announce, I'm just going to invite you to pray with me. Um, I've got something this morning that, again, it builds on what we talked about last week. I, I do recognize it as Thanksgiving going into Christmas, and last week we talked about bitterness. All right, I recognize the season, uh, but I believe it is very crucial that we address some of the things that keep us from experiencing God's goodness. And I believe it is His goodness that results in a life overflowing with Thanksgiving. Uh, when we recognize His grace, his favor, his goodness in our life. Um, and, and these are some of the key things that I see that inhibit, that keep us as believers from fully experiencing his goodness. And so um, today is going to be another one of those that kind of builds on what we talked about last week. But I'm just going to ask you to uh, welcome the, the Holy Spirit to really speak um, through his word and just to remove me from that equation. Father, I just pray that um, as, as your son and as your daughters here with me, um, as your sons and children, your children, God, just that we would just tune in at your feet just to hear what you have to say to us. Um, I know that you're more interested in our heart than in our actions, but we know that it is out of the overflow of our heart that our, our lives are lived. And so, Lord, today, help us to guard our hearts. Help us to... Um, present them to you in such a way that we can rightly divide the word of truth because we know it is your truth that brings freedom um, and it is applied, not overused, not misapplied, but it is your truth when it is applied with Holy Spirit revelation that we walk in your fullness. And so today, I just ask that that, is, that would be what is spoken and heard today, Lord. Um, I pray that the enemy would not be able to steal the seeds that are deposited today, um, that they would not be the seeds cast upon the the soil accepted as good, and the Lord, our heart would, would benefit with a harvest of fruit, with a life that is changed, and a freedom that is lived. We thank you. We thank you for speaking to us today. In your name I pray, amen and amen. And so as I kind of mentioned, you know, what I really, when I was kind of prepping these two weeks, I was uh, telling BJ, I was like, you know, it's, it's Thanksgiving. I'm just going to go with kind of what we normally, I, I'm just an attitude of gratitude, you know, kind of really focus in on, on what would be a seasonal message. And, and, and the Lord just kept drawing me to his goodness, kept drawing me to um, what we are to experience as his children, to experience his goodness and to give him glory. And that is why we are created. What is it's the confession of to, um, to experience God and, to, and to, to make his goodness and his glory known in all the world. And so that is why I believe we're here. But in this season, it is his goodness that I believe really results in a life of thanksgiving. And I think oftentimes I don't take enough time to recognize what he is doing or in my busyness or in my own work, I believe that I've contributed to what he is doing in my life somehow that I have added to his goodness. And I have planted some goodness in my own life. And really, we understand that everything comes from him. And everything goes back to Him. And so it is a life that is really living under the spout of His goodness 
that walks in his blessing and his favor. And so we're going to talk a little bit about what that looks like today as we continue to build on. And if you missed last week, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it. Um, I believe it's something the Lord has really been speaking to me about, about not allowing any root of bitterness into our hearts. Um, It is above all else that the scripture tells us to guard our hearts. Because out of it, that's where life flows. That is where the wellsprings of life flow, out of our heart. And it is the root of bitterness that I believe really can, can just cut us off from experiencing His grace and His favor and His goodness. And so um, that looks like so many different things. Bitterness can look like so many different things. It can be uh, the individual that has, has truly been hurt and has been offended, has, has actually been abused. And, and, and releasing someone and forgiving someone doesn't just mean that we also trust that person again. Uh, you know, forgiveness is not earned. Trust is. But forgiveness is what we have freely received and we freely give. And Jesus talks about just a little bit of a recap in the Gospels, especially when he's teaching us to pray, to the same measure that we are willing to forgive, that is the same measure that we will also experience his forgiveness. It's this divine nature that he has established in the earth. It is the laws above even gravity that really dictate the forgiveness that we experience, is the forgiveness that we're willing to give. And I think that it is a life of thanksgiving that really insulates us from bitterness. It is a life that is able to reflect and, and realize, wow, look, look at the rascal that I am. But yet God has chosen to forgive me. Look at how messed up I know I would be but for the grace of God. And even sometimes with the grace of God, I can still mess things up. But look at his forgiveness that I have not earned, that I could never merit. And it's in recognition of that that we're able to overflow and forgive. And so I want to build on that today and and talk about something that I believe also keeps us from giving thanks, keeps us from a lifestyle of thanksgiving. And we did talk about bitterness, but today I want us to talk about and build upon as we talk about jealousy. And jealousy, I really believe, is, uh, as I mentioned, bitterness is kind of, uh, is murder in its infancy, is murder in diapers, right? But jealousy is really where bitterness even gets started. Um, it is where we desire either a reputation or what someone else is, is uh, benefiting or experiencing. We desire what someone else is, has or, or is experiencing that we ourselves feel like we're not experiencing. Uh, and, and we'll dabble a little bit into some of the things that I believe we even see in our culture, such as entitlement, because I think entitlement oftentimes grows out of jealousy and can grow into bitterness. Uh, entitlement looks more than just the, the kid who thinks he, he's deserving of everything. Entitlement looks like so many things. In our culture, we can see entitlement among, among groups of, of people that are maybe even in poverty. They, they, you get in cycles of this, and you believe that you're entitled to something that is owed to you. Or it even looks like entitlement in your relationships to where you think, you know what, I deserve to be treated this way. And if they don't treat me this way, then I can respond with bitterness and even jealousy that I'm not being treated a certain way that someone's not uh, responding to me the way that I think I should be responded to or treated or, or you know, given to. I'll just be honest. So I, this weekend, I've actually uh, been struggling with this a little bit, even myself, of, of wondering why do I sometimes in my, in my flesh get irritated 
and even upset in my relationships. And usually it stems from somewhere where I feel like I am entitled to be treated differently. And I think this, this happens in so many different areas of our lives. And I'm sorry, guys, this is going to drive me nuts. So I'm going to take off this vest because this microphone is going to just be pulling around. And I believe the Lord wants to bring freedom to some of these areas that, that can be real pitfalls and danger zones. Danger zones of jealousy that can grow into bitterness. And so jealousy, it is a dangerous emotion. It can hijack your mind. It can ruin your relationships. It can destroy your family. In extreme cases, it can even lead to murder. The desire to want what someone else has, whether in possession, reputation, or fame, or an experience that they are experiencing that you are not, can lead to cycles of extreme anxiety and anger and then shame and guilt. The cycles that we experience, the Lord desires to speak a word of His truth, I believe, today and dismantle them. I believe that there are oftentimes thought patterns, and in, in, in today I believe you know, we are taught to renew our minds, but there's oftentimes je- uh, jealousy and bitterness. These types of emotions, these types of things, sometimes we'll just skip our thoughts and go straight to our heart and begin to uh, want to, to plant themselves. And so I believe today that is, is the Lord would speak truth to dismantle some of these strongholds, uh, we will see that there is freedom behind it. And so jealousy isn't all bad, though. The Lord himself would say in Deuteronomy 4.24 that the Lord your God is what? A consuming fire. A jealous God. During worship this morning, I just I had my eyes closed and my hands raised, and, and I just uh, I got this this visual of uh, I saw two really burning spots in my eyes, and I was kind of wondering if I like had some free flow. Or I, I was trying to figure out if I need to rub my eyes or what was going on, and and I was reminded as I was just picturing what I was envisioning, the Lord riding on his white horse, coming back for his bride who has eyes flaming with fire. And I was, I was reminded of, of what that symbolizes. To me, the Lord, in his, his, even in His eyes, His gaze for us is jealous. He is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And there are verses that, that even Solomon talks about. This isn't in my notes, I'm sorry. But there are verses where he, he talks about having uh, the bride, the, the, the bride that would come for that groom that has a vision that is single focused, that is as dove's eyes. You remember that scripture where it talks about as dove's eyes? And what literally, I don't know if you know much about a dove, a dove can't like look peripheral. They don't have the ability to accept look at one thing at a time. And so it is single focused. You have as dove's eyes, you have a vision for only one thing. And I believe as the Lord returns for a bride who has single vision for their groom, he is coming back with fire in his eyes that is a jealousy for our hearts and for our love. And so it is reflected in how we live because it is first embodied in our, in our groom. And so he is a jealous God, a God that won't tolerate anything that we would esteem above him and above our love for Him. And and then it continues in this this whole line of thought, as Paul would write in the New Testament to the church in Corinth. He says, He says, You are still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? 
Are you not acting like mere humans? And they were talking about who they were going to follow. They were talking about, well, you know, some of us are following Peter, some of us are following Apollos, some are following Paul, some are following Trump, some are following, you know, still following Obama, and some are following Biden. Some, he's like, those aren't even the people who are founding the church, right? Why are we following that? But he's saying, but it is Jesus that is the foundation, the cornerstone of what is living and moving and breathing that you have been founded upon. Not Paul, not Peter, for they have planted and others have watered, Paul would say in this same passage, but it is God that gives the increase. But this jealousy, even in the church, Paul is saying, is not wisdom from above, but is worldly. We're going to get to some of that as we go on in James. But Paul would also say this, which I love. It kind of builds on what I was just talking about. He says in 2 Corinthians, writing to that same group, I am jealous for you, though, with a godly jealousy. I think most characteristics we see in Christ have a perverted version. Jealousy being included here. Um, even most sins, I would say, start as sins of the flesh, but then become, can become demonically controlled and, and induced and, and, and drag you into further addiction and bondage. But they oftentimes start as sins of the flesh. And here, this is something that is natural. Remember, you can be angry and sin not. It is not, we're not trying to live emotionless, right? I told you last week, I said, that's Buddhism. That's not Christianity. But to be jealous with a godly jealousy, jealousy, Paul says here, he says, I am jealous for you because I promised you to one husband. Remember the one with fire in his eyes? To Christ, so that I may present you to him as a pure virgin, as one who has that vows, as one who is singly focused and, and has an affection that is only for him and him alone. And so there's a jealousy that is good. Uh, and as I, as I believe we go into this this week, I believe it'll build on what we talked about last week, about what it, jealousy can lead into, which is that bitterness. And we talked about how for, in Hebrews, we see that there is this bitterness that defiles. There is this bitterness that it defiles whatever container it is, it is in. You remember we talked about how bitterness is really, it's drinking the poison and hoping it harms the other person. Uh, it's really not doing anything to the other person. Unforgiveness isn't really harming anyone else other than ourselves. And we're, we're wishing harm upon someone. We're wishing them ill. It is the beginning of, of witchcraft and manipulation. Have you ever prayed prayers out of, out of, um, out of bitterness that weren't rooted in truth? And it is, it is you, we, honestly, you know Christians do this. <laughs> I hope not in this house. But we'll pray prayers wishing harm on someone else, that God would smite them. That God would you know, bring them down. When we begin to judge someone else's servant or someone else's creation, we have stepped out of the role that we are to operate in. And we have stepped into the role of God, the only righteous judge. Because as soon as we begin to criticize someone else's servant, we make ourselves vulnerable to the cracks of the enemy working in our own life into bitterness. 
And parents, I think we do this often, right? We, we, we parent our children out of manipulation. We're like, if you'll do this, I'll do that. And if you don't stop that, this, you know. And some of that is, is just uh, is punitive, is just discipline. But oftentimes, we, we parent out of these same things that there are the infancy of witchcraft. Because manipulation is just the, the infancy of what leads to a form of witchcraft and control. And we can pray out of these same forms that aren't rooted in truth because they come from jealousy and envy that is worldly and that leads to bitterness and that it stems from a hate and an anger that we have towards a situation or an individual. And it's not rooted in God's truth. In bitterness, God wants to rid us of these things that I believe today uh, you're going to see there's even situations of God's grace and favor that will expose what's in our heart. And so I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Matthew 20. We're going to spend some time here talking about the labors in the vineyard, if you remember the parable. I have one translation up on the screen. I'm going to go to a couple of different ones. Um, This is NIV, but I really like some of the wording in an older, I believe an older NAS as well as um, King James still translates it in a way that I really think paints a good picture. So Jesus begins to tell this parable that the kingdom of heaven is like, and he begins to talk about this man who had a, had a farm. Um, our guests from Texas, do y'all come from a farm at all? I'm just curious. Anybody got any farmland? Yeah, me either. I wish I did. So this gentleman who is going to hire laborers to, to work his land, he arrives at the first hour of the workday. So there, let's just give a little context. It's a 12-hour workday uh, for this parable. And the, the, hired, the hired hand goes and hires laborers at the first hour, the beginning of the workday, and offers to pay them a reasonable wage, a reasonable wage for a day's work. It's a denarius. And they begin to work. He draws a crew. And about three hours in, so they've still got nine hours left, right, of, of working, they go back and hire more and, and hire them um, to come and work the vineyard those, or the, the land um, that is there. And, and as they, they are working a vineyard, and as the, the parable unfolds, you see this repeat. He goes three hours in, six hours in, so there's, there's half the work day left. And then finally, it's the last hour. And the, the, the gentleman begins to call them all together and pays them in reverse order. Uh, those who were last are actually going to be paid first. And that's actually the verse that this parable ends on. Those who are you know, first will be last, and those who are last will be first. You've heard that before. That, this is one of the, the contexts that that verse is used. And so as the, the others are, are watching, those that had worked all day are getting really, really excited. Because they see the generosity of this, of this gentleman who is paying the one who worked one hour the wage that they were promised for all day. Let's just say it's $100. And so the gentleman who worked one hour, George, you worked one hour in my vineyard, and I gave you $100. So the people who worked all day are like, oh, man, this is, this is awesome. He's, he's really, he's being generous today. I can't wait to see what we get. Well, you know the story. They all get the $100, those who worked nine hours, six hours, 12 hours. They all got the same wage. Well, we get to the, towards the end. Let me see where I can get. 
It's, it's right at the end um, of this passage, which I really want us to focus on. And he says this. He says he, he answered one of them. He says, am I not being unfair to you, friend? Did, didn't you agree to work for a denarius? And in verse 14, take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. Listen to what the um, New King James says. It says, take what is yours and go your way. I wish to give to this last man the same as to you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with my own things? Listen to this. Or is your eye evil because I am good? Is your eye evil because he is good? I think about the story of the prodigal son as well as when we're reading this, about the brother. And I think oftentimes we find ourselves watching someone else benefit from the blessings of God when they have squandered them or not worked hard. And usually we're one of two people in this story, and it changes throughout our life. Oftentimes we're experiencing the grace and favor of God, and others are watching who had fasted and prayed and labored and toiled and sacrificed, wanting the exact same thing that we were just given. And there's other times that we're watching, because that's called grace. Everything that we live and operate by is God's grace. And that's the ways of the kingdom. But it is also the ways of the kingdom to allow what we have labored and toiled and fasted and prayed for to be given to someone else who has not labored as much. To allow our heart to not be evil because of his goodness. There was a missionary, uh, I love this story, you may have heard me tell it before, who had very little fruit in, in the country in Europe where he was sent. And he was just struggling after decades of toil and, and work in this country. And he was before the Lord one morning. He was like, God, why did you send me here? He said, because I am more interested in your character and what I am doing in your heart in this season than even in the fruit of what you feel like your labors have produced. You see, the God we serve is more interested in the process and the journey. We're interested in outcomes. That's, that's us. We want to see the fruit of our labor. We, we like to approach the Lord and say, Oh God, here I am. I'm fasting. I'm praying. I'm rising early. And, uh, and, and God, here I... It's, and we're actually going to start the new year that way. BJ and I, we've been talking about it. He's got a reading plan for us to uh, in our 21 days of consecration, which will start January 3rd, begin to plan to join us. It's going to be with, with prayer and feasting that we dive into God's word, that we read it together. And God is interested in us coming to him day after day and morning after morning. He is interested in us making the sacrifice to say, God, I, I want to know you more and I want you to fully know me. When we're interested in the answer to our prayers and our work and our fasting and our, and our toil, right? We want the breakthrough when God's just interested in the journey sometimes, when he just wants us to continue to show up and, and get to know him. It's a scary verse to me 
when the Lord says to uh, his group of disciples with the crowd around him, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And we think sometimes that if we know God, that he also knows us, but that's not always true. And what the scary thing is, is when we're before him, he will declare if he knew us or not, not if we knew him. And that's, and some people get off on this, and that is experiential, and that is relational. God wants to know you. Not that he doesn't already know how many hairs are on your head, how many more turn gray on my chin today. I've got four kids that I mentioned that. God already knows all that. I get that. That's the sovereignty and divine nature of our God. That is who He is. He is all-knowing. But He wants to experience and to know you relationally. He is a gentleman. He will wait for you to enter that journey and to enter that process to wake up and to rise to know Him and to allow yourself to be fully known. That is what he is going to declare that if we allowed him to even know us away from it, depart from me, I never knew you. And so we see in this story here that some of the things that can be pitfalls are to see his goodness in someone else's life and to pervert it to where we win. Let me explain that. So you see someone else experiencing God's grace and favor and we rationalize and we reason as to why they didn't deserve it, but we did. So usually when we see someone benefit from God's grace and favor that we don't think they deserved it, we begin to reason as to why we did those. We always win in our own argument, don't we? We always win in our mind as we're speaking to ourselves. We will never be on the losing end of that. Because we begin to look with an eye that is evil upon his goodness. And this is where jealousy begins. This is where envy is born. Is when we look upon his grace and his favor in someone else's life. And we say, yeah, but don't you know? Didn't you hear? And he says, am I not allowed to to give grace to who I want to? Am I not allowed to be generous upon who I want to. It's interesting because it rains upon the righteous and the unrighteous alike. In the end, we will see who responded to his grace and his favor, and he will determine that. Because as soon as we jump into knowing someone else's motive or their heart, we're operating in a realm that is not a place that we should be operating. So many people have called bitterness and jealousy rational, reasonable, even, even, let's, okay, we're in Pentecostal circles here, discernment. Some people have said, oh, the Lord showed me. No, the Lord I know is a better steward than that. He doesn't show you things that are going to cause you to have bitterness and envy in your heart. There is someone that will show you that but it's not our Lord. And so we have to be careful the things that we even attribute to our Father that don't come from Him. Because oftentimes we like to reason, we like to justify, because we want to be the ones that win in the argument, so to speak, because our eye can be evil 
see his goodness if we allow jealousy and bitterness in. Amen? Happy Thanksgiving, by the way. I do recognize it's still coming up. (laughs) Because of the corruption of our own hearts and how distorted we can view His favor on others, we, we oftentimes can't celebrate the grace and favor that rests on someone else. And we will disqualify ourselves and restrict His ability for us to experience and inherit what He's wanting to bestow on us. We actually restrict spiritual growth and promotion in our lives. Let me, let me put it this way. The rental car is, is so, um, it's, it's very, it's, it's an easy example. H- how do people treat rental cars? They don't own them, pretty rough on them, right? I mean, Maybe you're different, but but I, I treat rental. I try to treat rental cars pretty good because maybe it, maybe it'll be mine. Maybe I'll end up buying a rental car, and this could be. But most of the time, people don't treat things that are not theirs the same way that they would treat their own possessions. And when we can't treat something that is not ours that God has given to someone else, we ourselves will never be able to experience and inherit that. So he says this, he says, until you can celebrate what God is doing in someone else's life, what makes you think that he's going to begin to do that in yours? And so both of these are the ways of the kingdom, God's grace and favor and God's check on our heart to make sure that jealousy doesn't get a root, that bitterness doesn't begin to grow so that we can insulate and live a life from gratitude because of his goodness that we recognize what he's doing, and that whether Paul would say, as he's writing, he says, whether I have a lot or a little, I've learned to be content. I've learned to be thankful. I've learned to live in both abundance and lack. He says, this is the secret to discovering that I can do all things through him. We quote that verse so many times. I've seen it tattooed on more bodies than I care to mention. I can do all things through him. And, and it's, at the, it's at the gym, and you see it everywhere. It's in sports teams. It's, but he's talking about the ability to operate in different levels of God's favor in different seasons, and our heart is content in him. That whether we have literal lack or whether we watch other people in, in abundance, the position of our heart doesn't change that we can still say, he's a good God. I'm so glad that they're experiencing his blessing. I can rejoice with those who are rejoicing. And I can even mourn with those who are mourning because I know God is good above it all because this is who he is. And when things are not right in our hearts, our perspective is distorted, I'll distort the circumstances of someone else's life. And we'll take something and we'll justify it for our own gain. Let's look at another passage here for a minute. If you got a paper Bible, and I know you're really saved if you do, you can go to James chapter 3. Christian, you may may have to hop there with me. I'm not really sure. Yeah, there it is. I'm going to read a little bit further, and then I'm going to come back, and we're going to talk a little bit about some different parts of this. James is uh, 
was like a two by four across the head spiritually. I think he um, he just says it how it is, and it, some of his stuff seems so discombobulated, and I'm not sure how he fits it together. And BJ and I were talking about that uh, a couple of weeks ago. Just his what, what was his he, BJ said? What was James's outline? Have you ever found a good outline for the Book of James? And, and he, so he's kind of all over the place. But here, particularly, I think this is a really interesting passage. Uh, and we're going to relate it to what we're talking about today. I'm going to start in James chapter 3, verse 13, uh, and I'm going to read a little bit into 4, if you'll allow me to. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life. So he's talking about wisdom. Let them show it by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. Okay, hold on. I didn't make it very far. Okay. Oftentimes we claim spiritual truths things that are unseen that we say God is doing within us, but we don't have a natural life to back it up. John preached, produce a life of fruit in keeping with the repentance that you are claiming. So when we are claiming a spiritual truth, it should also be exhibited in a natural life that we are living of transformation. I'm not saying that you've got to muster up the fruit of the Spirit. You know that. You know that I would say that oftentimes we try to, in the flesh, bear what is only born of the Spirit, and it stinks. It's rotten. Patience that comes from my own nature is, is already on the vine, rotted. I'll go ahead and tell you. But when, thanks for laughing at that, Candy. That's my wife again. It's the only encouragement I get. But the Spirit, when He begins to develop this within us, there's no denying it. And it is fruit that is that is remains, that is eternal, right? Because it's born of His Spirit. It is producing something within us. But here, He is saying that in, in keeping with the wisdom that you are claiming, the understanding that you are saying you have, let it be shown by the way you live your life. Sometimes you have to just fake it till you make it, right? Sometimes you just have to begin to, Lord, I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Help me, God. Help my heart continue to be transformed in this way. But I'm going to continue to do this. I remember as a, as a, uh, as a teen, adolescent in my faith, um, I would get up every morning and, and I would get up early before I had to go to school and just spend my time with the Lord and journal and worship and pray. And I remember having these thoughts of condemnation. Oh, you're just doing this. Um, to Blah, blah, blah. You just feel better about yourself because you're praying. You just... And, you know, thoughts that were coming to me, maybe from the enemy, maybe from myself, but they weren't from the Lord because I knew I was doing the right thing. So here was my response to those thoughts. I said, God, I'm going to continue to do the right thing, but I don't know my heart. It is deceitfully wicked. That's what Scripture tells us. And I need to guard it. But Lord, I'm going to continue to do the right thing, but would you change my heart in this process? Would you help me keep my motives in check? Because I know there's a risk. And I don't always discern them myself. So it doesn't mean that we don't stop, that we stop doing what we're supposed to be doing because we're like, well, maybe I was doing it for the wrong reason. I'm just going to stop it altogether. The enemy wins. But God can use what you're already putting forth to him. He can move that parked car. He can't move that parked car, but he can move the car that is moving, right? That he can guide you. He can direct you. He can allow the avenues of your heart to be sanctified and renewed and transformed as you are presenting them to him. But if we hold back, he has nothing to work with. And so it's the deeds of wisdom that are done, 
But if we harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. So he is correlating the envy and jealousy and self-promotion that we experience in this world with things that we boast about and aren't willing to measure them up against God's truth. He even says such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. There is an envy and a jealousy right now that is even rampant in our nation. I mentioned that this is even uh, embodied in entitlement. We see it in uh, so much of the division we're experiencing right now in our nation. I think a lot of the roots are jealousy and bitterness that entitlement has just really ran rampant with. And entitlement is really where you begin uh, to see a perversion of the truth for justice. Something wrong was done, and now I am bitter about it. And out of this unforgiveness, I want what's mine. I want what I deserve. It wasn't this situation or circumstance. And so over-applied truth, because the foundations of God's thrones are still righteousness and justice. And a lot of uh, the movements that I've been in have really focused on our heart being right and, and a holiness movement and repentance, which is very necessary. That is a foundation of His throne. But also His justice, which is understanding that sometimes God's going to be generous. And sometimes we're not going to understand why circumstances happen the way they do. You know, I don't know why it is. You'll go to a grocery store and the one millionth customer who wins the free car had three parked already at their house. But the individual who didn't have a car and been praying for a car is not the one millionth customer and does not win the car. I don't understand that. What I do know is that favor attracts favor. And grace attracts grace. That resource attracts resource. And you see that so much in our world, the way God operates. It's his kingdom ways. But will our eye be evil at the sight of his goodness? In regard, and I'm not talking about issues of justice when I say that. Please don't misunderstand me. Because the, we are still to be speaking for those who can't speak for themselves. We are still to be standing with those who have never had anyone stand with them and, and, and understand. And right now, there's probably no greater population that can't speak for themselves than the unborn. And our nation, our nation has trivialized this issue. We have politicized. When this is an issue of God's justice, of people who cannot, literally cannot speak for themselves, and we have reasons as to why it is justifiable. And I understand the situations and arguments that are, that are very ugly. And we would never wish some of those situations on, on even our enemies. Because we, get, we pray for God's grace and blessing upon them, even in tough situations. And there's no shame if that has happened to anyone in this room or someone you know, because there's restoration and there's healing. But when we're going to speak, for those who can't speak for themselves or have not been spoken for. And we're going to see His justice, the foundations of His throne, his throne it comes with truth, with righteousness. 
But so much of what we desire in this is right, it stems from bitterness and unforgiveness, not from righteousness and God's truth. And when we overapply those truths or we misapply it, it is not a wisdom that is from above. He says right here, we reason in our minds that this type of envy and jealousy and bitterness, it stems from, it is reasonable, it is discernment, it is wisdom. He says, but that wisdom, it's from this world. It is literally demonically charged. We see so much of that today in our world. And he goes on. I'm going to read a little bit more. He goes on and he says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, in verse 16, there will be disorder and every vile practice. Look at the nations of the world and the godlessness that has run rampant. The things that are allowed to win today are because there's not been an exposure of what is truly built upon foundations of jealousy and selfish motives, self-gain, self-promotion, selfish ambition. He says, but the wisdom that is from above is, first of all, these things. Here's your plumb line. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial and sincere. Apply these things to what we are declaring is wisdom today. These are the plumb. These are the measuring rods for what is truly divine in nature that is not rooted, that will be, because the only counter to the lies that we've bought into, that our culture has bought into, to what our society and the world, the systems of this world are operating by, because they are operating by a wisdom, but I declare it is not a wisdom that is from above. It is rooted in envy and self-promotion and selfish ambition. It is not pure. It is not peaceable. It is not gentle. It is not open to reason. It is not full of mercy. It cannot rejoice with someone else. It has no good fruit. It is certainly not impartial and sincere. He says, but a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So he, he goes on in chapter 4. He says, what is causing all these quarrels? And what is causing all these fights among you? Boy, I'd like to say that to America right now. What is causing all this division? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask, you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions, you adulterous people. So let me just stop right there. You do a little research on, on the people that James is writing to. I don't believe they were actually fist fighting in the streets. I don't believe that there were actually men sleeping with other men's wives and women sleeping with other, you know, husbands. You know, there's not this adultery that is physical, but there is this spiritual alignment because Paul oftentimes will couple idolatry with adultery. 
And what he's saying here is you have idolized things, self-promotion and your own gain and your own jealousy is fueling it. That now, because that jealousy and that bitterness is the spirit of war, is what he is saying here. It is the spirit of war that is at work within the members of your own body. What do you see around us now except the spirit of war that is causing all these divisions and animosity? It is not pure. It has not been peaceable. It is certainly not gentle. It is not impartial. It is not, first of all, built upon the truth of His righteousness. And it is causing this jealousy and envy to now be promoted in a spirit of war that has been justified as wisdom. You guys see in this? I believe that this is such a timely word because this is what I believe the Spirit wants to expose in our nation. Because until we can have true healing, we have to enter into the truth. It is the only God's truth that will set us free. It is only the truth that will dismantle those strongholds and, and those thoughts, those ways of thinking that have to be pulled down. Do you guys understand like the, the, the idea of a stronghold that Paul talks about? It, he's kind of taking the idea of building a castle, a wall, where blocks are literally heavy blocks are set in place. Multiple people having to, with contraption, building this edifice, this, this, this building that then creates a stronghold to keep enemies out. But we do this in our thinking. And that's why he says, in your thoughts, begin to demolish every argument that sets itself up against the knowledge of Christ. I said last week, I don't think the enemy really cares what side you stand on a lot of the issues as long as you will abandon the character of Christ to defend them. As soon as we set something up against the, not, the character of who Jesus is, whether it's the right side or the, left, you know, what, the wrong side, if we abandon the character, we begin to contribute to these, for, these fortresses that keep out God's goodness and grace in our lives. And we do this in our thinking. And, and so we take every thought captive and we ask the Lord to expose our motives and to help us to begin with revelation of His truth, revelation of the Word of God to begin to tear down these strongholds block by block. One of our coaches might have been onto something about brick by brick. I don't know about football, but in, in, when it comes to our thought life, this is something that has to be repeated when it comes to redirecting. Because if I'm going to put into action what I'm declaring is happening in the unseen world, here's a verse that you hear a lot. First John, he says this. He says, you cannot say that you love God and yet what? Hate your brother. You can't declare this spiritual truth if you are in the natural not able to live that out. You can't say, oh, what a good God, and then go home and beat your kids. It doesn't work that way. At least I didn't get a response then from my wife. That, that's a good sign. Y'all know I'm not beating the kids. But it is out of the spiritual work that he is doing that our natural lives live and declare that the revelation we are having is a dismantling. It is a revelation of that truth that is lived out that we continue to dismantle these strongholds that have been built. And so he goes on and he says, 
in this spirit of war, do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And last week I, I said, you know, Joshua is before the angel, and the angel says to him, he says, Joshua's like, well, whose side are you on? To the angel. And the angel's like, no, 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 no. Whose side are you on? Because it's not about my side or your side. Are you on God's side? You know, God doesn't have an opinion. He is right. Right? Sometimes I have shared my opinions up here, and, and pastors, we blur opinion with, with the word, but at the end of the day, God is right. He doesn't have an opinion. It is His truth. His truth does not alter. It is always the same. But it is a revelation of that truth that helps us dismantle the lies that we have bought into, that our society and our culture have believed, that are rooted in bitterness and self-promotion, that we end with winning and we're in chains because we have forfeited our freedom for something that is not founded in truth. Happy Thanksgiving. I love you guys. I believe that it is Thanksgiving that will insulate our hearts from, from these things as we can enjoy the goodness of God even on others and realize it is a process of all things in its time. And do you not suppose that it is to no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He has made to dwell in us? How beautiful is that? He's already deposited the Spirit within us. And he yearns jealously to commune with us. So lay down your offenses, he is saying. Lay down your selfish motives and ambitions. And allow the one whose gaze is with fiery jealousy towards you to be the winning factor in our lives. God, you are worthy of it all. While I may not understand the agendas and systems of this world. Lord, I want to have wisdom that is from above, and you have my heart. He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us, and he gives us more grace. That is why it says God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And we, we love to quote this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. And he goes on. But the order of things is a full surrender life to God and to His plans and His purposes and His understanding. This is one of the enemy's tactics. It is submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I think a lot of us get these out of order and we try to resist the enemy without first fully surrendering our own ideologies to God, our own ways of thinking, our own ways of doing things, our own motives, our own patterns that we don't even understand are deceitfully wicked because our heart needs to be Father toward Him. And so we first come every day, Lord, here we are. Give us today the sustenance I need. It's found in you and you alone. It is spiritual, and there's physical things that I'm trusting you for too, but I'm seeking first your kingdom. I know all these things will be added to me because I'm your child. You knew before I asked. And I'm setting my heart in a posture of forgiving those 
who are in debt to me, just as I need you to forgive me my debts. And it is with this measure that I will experience your forgiveness today, God. Ultimately, let all the power and the glory be to you and you alone as I walk in your truth and freedom. And we can draw near to God and He draws near to us. We can allow Him to cleanse our hands and allow Him to purify our hearts, allow our double-minded to be singly focused. He's more interested in the process. We're more interested in the outcomes. And I want to encourage you, don't give the enemy an inch. Ephesians 4 says that you can literally give the devil a place. So don't. So don't. That's a bad choice. To operate with the wisdom that is of this world, it may start as a sin of the flesh, but it will quickly be infused with the demonic. Because that wisdom is not from above. It is earthly. It is demonically inspired. Repentance is needed. Specific confession of sin is necessary. Deal with lies as the Lord begins to expose with His truth. And I think one of the greatest things we can do to begin to put these things into action, because you know the opposite of love is not hate. It's indifference. It's indifference. The opposite of love is not hate, it's indifference. I can see the blessings of God on someone else's life and choose not to hate them by avoiding loving them. I avoid it. I just, I just choose to be indifferent. I can, I can be successful in not hating them while not being successful in having God's heart for them. Does that make sense? And He's inviting us. He's inviting us to have His heart for those around us. For our family members that are far from Him, for our community, for our nation right now. He's inviting us to not just be filled with indifference and not hate, while we should not hate, but just to have indifference, but to say, God, I want to have Your heart for them today. Help me to have Your heart for those that feel disenfranchised, that are going through things that, I've never experienced, or to try to understand in a way, what, what are your thoughts towards them? What is your desire for them? What, help me to see the gifts and the grace and the favor that you've put on their life. And I know they've paid a price. And to begin to not accuse, but to begin to speak and to recognize God's grace and favor and truth in their life. I've heard this said, and it's really powerful, that if you want to... Um, in giving people the benefit of the doubt, if you wash another person's feet, you will find out why they walk the way they do. When you wash someone's feet, what it's saying is when you get in there and you begin to serve and to love and to genuinely care for someone else, you begin to realize why they are the way they are. Wow, I had no idea you'd experience that when you were such and such an age. I had no idea that you've never had anyone really stand for you with you. I had no idea. I had no idea that you had experienced such such pain. And so we begin when we begin to serve and to love and to wash someone else's feet, we begin to understand why they walk, the way they why they have that limp, why they why they carry things the way they do. Because it is so easy to project because I wouldn't be that way. I mean I've gone through that. And it's so easy and jealousy and bitterness to let those things take place. 
over understanding in God's heart and truth today. And the Lord wants to protect us. He's interested in our hearts today. He's interested in our hearts. And I would say today that everything we do and everything we have is by God's grace. It is because of His goodness. Amen. I'm going to ask the whole worship team to come up. Um, I hadn't planned on this, but I felt during uh, worship, we're going to partake today in communion. But before we do, I want to say a few more things and pray with us. Everything we have is because of His goodness and His grace. We have much to be thankful for. And the Lord wants to protect our hearts in this season in our nation and, and wants to posture us in a way to be able to pray for truth to prevail, for righteousness and justice to still be the foundation of His throne in our hearts and in our city and in our nation. But it starts with being able to have an eye that is not evil even when He is good and we don't understand it. We don't have to explain or try to justify the favor that we walk in. There are just seasons of promotion. There are just seasons of His grace and His goodness that we all just kind of cycle through in different ways. But we can learn the secret of much and little of being content in Him because it is about His kingdom and His kingdom first, His kingdom only. And these are the things that will help us dismantle those blocks that have built a fortress in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives, in our culture. Philippians 4, 8, it says this. It says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, would you think about these things with me? Let's look for and ask God to show us these things to dwell on instead of the things that our flesh or even the enemy would draw us to. This is the renewing of our minds. In all of creation, Romans 8 tells us, is groaning, is groaning for the revelation of the children of God. Do you know why the, all of creation is groaning? Because they've seen it before. They have seen the Son of God. And they know that what is inside us, if we would recognize it as His children, is so powerful, is so beautiful. And all of creation, if we would join with them, we would recognize there is these travails that are happening for the fullness of God to be displayed through His people, to no longer allow the enemy a foothold, but to walk in the freedom of His truth for which we are created for that we would not be chained to our past, which is what bitterness and jealousy attempt to get us to stay connected to our past when God is saying, no, my freedom is for your future. My forgiveness is for your now. And it is unleashing the purpose for which I have created you for. And that freedom is available to every single person who is here today. Whether you have chosen to, to give your heart to Christ once, twice, 500 times, or you want to renew that today, I'm going to invite you again to just bow your heads with me, close your eyes. Because there is a wisdom that is from above that is for your life. There is a freedom that has been purchased with His sacrifice. And today, if 
you feel, God, I need to renew that commitment and that understanding and that relationship again. I need to come maybe for the first time, maybe for the 50th time, whatever it may be. If that's where you're at today and you would say, Michael, would you pray with me? Would you join me in renewing all things in commitment and in covenant with the Lord? I know he is jealous for me. I want to have that same jealousy for him and for his truth in my life. If that's where you're at today, if that's the, the statement you want to make, would you just raise your hand? I want to pray with you. Anybody at all? Yes. 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 Anybody else? Yes. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Father, I thank you that it is your word that is truth and it is guiding us into your freedom. I pray, God, that there would be such revelation within our hearts now. Let there be an explosion, Holy Spirit, of just the goodness of God, of the love that you have for us, and the forgiveness that you have bestowed upon us that we can never merit, we can never earn. It is your goodness, it is your grace. But Lord, we need a revelation, a fresh revelation of that today. Every single one of us that we can come before you, come to your altar, to walk in the creativity that you have created us for. As your sons, as your daughters, we say thank you for that today. We say thank you for that today. Thank you, Jesus. For those that raise their hands, God, I just pray especially for them that are sensing a, a renewal of commitment and of covenant with you. I pray that there would be, in this room, addictions broken, that there would be healing found from hurts, that there would be hearts that are restored, that there would be bitter roots, that, that there's an end put to today because of the word of truth from your heart, God. And there will be a life that is overflowing with thanksgiving because of your goodness, because of your grace. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for bringing these things to revelation that we can dwell upon, empowered by your spirit. We can be empowered to dwell upon your truth, everything that is pure, that is lovely, that is noble, that is right, that is admirable, that we can look upon Christ and know that he is above all else in our hearts. Now I'm going to invite you now, uh, the ushers are coming forward, if you would like to partake, and this is for believers um, who have already responded to the call of Christ. There is no pressure for you to partake with us. If you are, have not yet declared that or want to participate that uh, with communion with your body somewhere else, thank you. If, as they just come down the aisle, they're going to serve you. And if you would like to participate, just make sure and grab one of these. We're going to use the prepackaged communion. It's COVID-friendly. But I believe that it is in remembering His goodness that Thanksgiving has an opportunity to surround our hearts. It is in giving thanks and in the blessing of what Christ gave that night for all of us. In the breaking of the bread and in the passing of the cup that He would bless and give thanks. The first Eucharist, so to speak, that we now can remember with thanksgiving what Christ has done for us, the forgiveness that we all needed, the good news that He has already done it, what we could not do for ourselves.
And so while they're passing that out, if you'll try to separate the wafer from the juice, it's prepackaged, let's make it fun. And it was on the night that he was betrayed that he would look around at his 12 closest and he would say, he would take that bread, he would break it and he would bless it and he would give thanks. And he would say, this is my body that is broken for you. Would you do this in remembrance of me? Would you partake with me and remember the Lord? take the cup and he would pass it and he would say this is my blood poured for you and do this as often as you do it in remembrance of me this is the blood of the new covenant let us remember together and would you worship with me as we remember
much about us that you are willing to give your only son, but you still invade our lives each and every day. We thank you, God. We thank you that you care about our hearts, that they would be yours, and that you want to know us. upon your mercy and your goodness. I pray that you would keep us all safe and healthy and well, that your hand would be upon us, that there would be divine appointments this week in our paths, that we would recognize them and be able to come alongside those that you put in our, in our pathway, God, to speak your life, to speak your hope, to speak your truth. We thank you, God, for your goodness that would spread throughout all the earth, for your glory to fill it. In your name we pray. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at emmanuelag.com. 